I watched people in our field in mental health do amazing things. But what we lack right now is a collaboration in our environments. So we're doing a great thing here at a Boys and Girls Club. We're doing a great thing here in a school. We're doing a great thing here in a clinic. But one of the things that is a challenge in our field is doing that all together. And so that's really the goal. Let's discover the Cleveland entrepreneurial ecosystem. We are telling the stories of its entrepreneurs and those supporting them. Welcome to the Lay of the Land podcast, where we are exploring what people are building in Cleveland. I am your host, Jeffrey Stern, and today I had the absolute pleasure of speaking with Colleen Lorber. Colleen has her PhD in school psychology and founded wraparound experts from over 15 years in the field, combining her knowledge of the environments and professionals that she worked with to provide a model of services that wrap around a child and the environments and people that influence the success of that child every single day. Colleen knew she wanted to be a child psychologist in the sixth grade, and that goal and that determination drove her to complete her doctorate at the age of 27. During her undergraduate and graduate school years, Colleen worked at residential treatment facilities for at-risk youth where she helped children with autism through behavioral therapy and mobile therapy services. When Colleen was completing her doctorate, she began working at a privately owned company as a psychology intern, and after 15 years there, she departed from the company as its chief operating officer, where she was managing over 1,000 employees spanning psychologists, speech therapists, special education teachers, Title I teachers, occupational therapists, physical therapists, RNs, LPNs, medical assistants, and school health aides. Unfortunately, the research coming out examining the current state of our society's mental health is quite dismal. The pandemic has clearly had an effect on how we are operating our everyday lives. Colleen and wraparound experts, though, believe that the way to begin to work on our mental health, starting with children in Ohio, is to bring it back to concentrate on basic human needs, which include not only physical and biological needs, but also our feelings of safety, security, love, and belonging, and esteem. This is the exact nature of the work Colleen is pushing forward with wraparound experts and is what we spend our conversation exploring today. Please enjoy my conversation with Colleen Lorber. So having uh, heard you tell your story recently when we first connected and just recently reflecting on societally the state of mental health, which I know we'll talk a lot more about uh, in our conversation, I've been looking forward to this discussion and and sharing it with a, a broader audience as I found the way that you're able to talk about the work you're doing and why you're doing it is really exciting and, and, and inspiring. <laughs> and so I've I've been excited to, to learn more about it. And so I wanted to just thank you for, for coming on today. Oh, thank you. I'm excited that, you know, one of our missions is to get the message out to as many people as we can. So I appreciate this opportunity. Yeah. So we'll, we'll cover a lot of things here, but I thought it would be most interesting to start with your own interest in child psychology and just kind of working through your own you know, professional background and personal background and, and path to, to entrepreneurship? Sure. 
Um, that could be a really long story. So, <laughs> and I am Irish, so we tend to like to tell long stories. Um, but so personally, I knew when I was young that I wanted to be a psychologist because people have always fascinated me. Even when I was little, I wanted to know, well, why are they making that decision? Or why did they choose to interact that way with their friends? So I've always had this draw towards why people do what they do. And when I got a little bit older, I understood that, oh, psychology is really the way that I'm going to figure that out. And so that that's kind of how it went. And I followed the path from young deciding that all the way through uh, getting my PhD when I was 27, you know, just freight trained it all the way through, just didn't stop. Um, <laughs> and it and it never didn't fascinate me. I always was learning new things. And then how did I get to entrepreneurship? I mean, that's a very long story. Basically, it's you know, I never knew, I, I always knew I never was going to take the traditional school psychology path. So I have a degree in school psychology, my PhD is in psychology. But as I was learning more about what school psychology was, I knew that I wasn't going to be able to go into a school and have that kind of a structure that seemed a little bit restricting to the way that I operate. So I tend to push against what the rules are, not because I don't believe in the rules, but because I want to know the reason why the rules are the mm. way they are, which I have learned is a lot, uh, like many traditional entrepreneurs. Um, and, and so I started out my path not even going down the traditional public school route. I always tell people I would have been fired probably pretty quickly because <laughs> I would have said to people, well, no, yeah, I don't agree. I'm not doing it that way. So I went, my first route was really going towards a private company and I ended up starting as an intern there and never left for 15 years. I went from an intern to then supervising psychologists and then supervising speech therapists and supervising special ed teachers, then taking over our nursing department that we had there and then eventually becoming the chief operating officer and really finding that psychology is a hand in hand with entrepreneurship, hand in hand with business ownership. And I thought, I love this. I love <laughs> the psychology of business as well. And, you know, through lots of life circumstances, it led me to kind of closing the door on that business that I was working with. And here it was. It was a, hey, Colleen, what are you going to do? It's now or never. Are you going to decide to, you know, go down the road and do what you've always wanted to do or not? And I jumped in both feet. Mm. I think that that intersection is pretty interesting. You know, I think I found when I just take a step back, you know, most most of the problems of companies, you know, th there's hard technical stuff, but most of the problems are people problems. And they're about why people are the way they are and, and why they behave the way they do. And it's just, that's how it is. They're, they're, they're almost like one and the same. <laughs> a, a thousand percent. So I think one of the reasons that I was able to move as quickly as I did through that company is because of my psychology background. I knew that to understand 
how to get things done. I had to understand my management team on a level that other people maybe didn't have this, I don't want to say didn't have the skill, but just um, maybe didn't dive in the exact same way that I would from my kind of brain. So with a psychology background, I'm able to look at my management team and go, okay, she operates this way. He operates this way. If my goal is down here, how do I get those people to my goal or the company goal by knowing the way that their brains work? And honestly, I think that's what helped catapult me through that those 15 years and becoming chief operating officer of, of, it was a very large company so quickly and at, you know, a pretty young age in comparison. So as you kind of make your way through that, that journey, you know, 15 years in, at what point do you start thinking about, you know, maybe there's something that you yourself would like to pursue outside of, of that world in which you have professionally developed? Right. Very honestly, I thought that I was going to be at that company forever. I thought that it would be something that I would create into my own, you know, take what was there, a beautiful base and foundation and and continue to grow it down the path, I thought. Um, and business circumstances did not allow for that. That's a different podcast, probably. Um, <laughs> and it was it was sort of being forced on me. And I don't know if that's how lots of entrepreneur journeys are, but that's how mine was. And it was that, like I told you before, the the now or never, Colleen, here's your opportunity. You, and you don't get many of these in life. So you're either going to go down that traditional route and go get a job, or you're going to go do what you believe in. And when you we're thinking about that opportunity, what it is that you believe in, you know, like what were the the questions that you were asking? What, what were you curious about, you know, trying to validate? Did you have a, a vision at that point for, for the future, for maybe what wraparound experts would become? I, I think it was always there. I think in the back of my mind, I knew how can, let me take it back. So my life and the way that I live life is how do I make today a great day? You know, how do I make each day just a little bit better than it was yesterday? How do I accomplish something new today? How do I meet a goal? And so for me, I could look at the state of our psychology in schools and kids, and that's really where my passion is, and go, what are we missing? What's the piece of the system that doesn't seem to be there or, or that isn't talking to each other? And so always in the back of my mind was, how do we build collaboration that doesn't exist right now? Because we're all just sprinkling a little good here, uh, sprinkling a little good there. So that's really where that wraparound experts came from. How can I take the experts in these fields and wrap around the kits? How do we all hold hands together with all the knowledge that we have and really do something that is going to affect more positive change for kids faster. Because if we do it together, we're going to definitely make change quicker. That's just logic. And that's what I wanted to do with wraparound experts. And I, I've, I've watched people in our field in mental health do amazing things. But what we lack right now is a collaboration in our environments. 
So we're doing a great thing here at a boys and girls club. We're doing a great thing here in a school. We're doing a great thing here in a clinic. But one of the things that is a challenge in our field is doing that all together. And so that's really the goal. And how we get there, I mean, I might have a little bit of a roadmap thought of now, but it's also just leaning on each other and supporting each other through that process. And that's what I think Wraparound Experts is going to do. I know it's going to do. So as you're, you know, thinking through those really kind of like foundational beliefs, what what is the process that that you follow from there to to start to work towards, you know, what does maybe a a first pass at this look like? You know, right. what Like what's the yeah. real business kind of question? Yeah. Right. Because it sounds all theoretical and you're like, oh, that sounds pretty, Colleen. How are you going (laughs) to actually make it happen? And the way that you make it happen is you grow people. You find the people that have the passion that you have and that have an understanding or an area that you don't know. And you get the people around them that can help support them and you get them out in the environment. So what we do is we have professional staffing of psychologists, counselors, social workers, board-certified behavior analysts, like behavior technicians, special education teachers, all those experts. And we take those staff and we train them up in this model, and then we put them out there. We get them in the schools. And the way that that will be successful is that we continue to support those professionals in those environments. We listen to the needs of the kids in those environments, the schools, the community organizations, and we meet those needs with the experts that we have. That's how it grows into a business is that we provide staffing essentially, and then also training. Because I really believe that there aren't enough of us. The mental health crisis we are in right now is pretty significant. It was rising, and then COVID just kind of pushed everybody off that cliff. And there aren't enough professionals like psychologists and social workers and and counselors and all of that to really help as many people as, as it's needed right now. So that's where our training comes in. We want to give it away. Give away the knowledge. I was told a long time ago that you know you're doing your job when you've worked your way out of your job. So I'm a good psychologist when they don't need me anymore. And that's my goal is to help as much as possible till they walk away and go, I got this, Colleen. Right. No, I, I think I think that is that is true, right? And in your absence, is there enough structure, process, self-reliance to to handle the the same kinds of things that you're helping people work through? hundred percent. Yep. How, how much of a, I don't know if deviation is the right word, but how much of a, in your training, like compared to, to all these practitioners who are maybe used to approaching, you know, child psychology in a certain way, how different is your approach than what folks might be used to? The truth is, I don't think it's much different. It's, it's just a coordination of it in a way that we're not doing it or, or that we don't frequently do concentrate on the coordination of it. And that's really one of our focuses is how do we pull the community members together? Like for for us, the training isn't just for the teachers in the school. I want the bus drivers to know. I want the cafeteria workers to know. 
anybody who can affect change or has an influence on those kids' lives during the day, that's who needs to know, including parents. Oh my gosh, I will give lots of pizza parties, whatever needs to happen to get the parents there. Because when we do it all together in the in the environments the kids are most exposed to, that's when we're going to be able to help the most. Um, so not, I wouldn't say it's a deviation. It's just a different kind of um, coordinated approach. Mm. And how receptive, I guess, from all parties do you find people are to, to this approach? I will tell you that that's been one of the most validating experiences that when I started talking about what we're going to do at Wraparound Experts. And I started talking to professionals that I respect and who have mentored me and or new people I have just met and, and their responses being, oh yeah, I want to do that with you. Can I do that with you? It, it was just, I don't, I don't know. Like, you know, it's, it's one of those things that you can't even describe. <laughs> somebody, somebody just gave you the best present ever. So the reception has been quite amazing. And even talking to potential clients, you know, clients for us would be schools, communities, parents, that kind of reception too has been extremely positive. Great, Colleen. How much is it? How do we pay for it? When can you start? Mm. Let's go. Let's do it. So it's been pretty great. Uh, no, that's awesome. And how, how does the more like practically from a, a business operations perspective, you know, how do you go about building both sides of that equation, right? Like pulling together the right group of practitioners on, on one side and then going to, to market on, on the other side. Right. So one of the things that was, has always been very important to me in my life and my parents have taught me is, you know, you never burn a bridge. You never know when that person's going to come back in your life. And so building relationships for me and helping people solve problems and helping them solve different needs they have had in their environments has always been a priority to me. And so I think that on the client end, that is something that has fared quite well in starting a new business um, is that going out to them and expressing that idea has, and in the state we are in right now, has been not a difficult sell on the business mm. end. There are also right now is a significant amount of funding that are, that the government has put in place, both state governments and federal governments that are directed towards mental health services and training. And that's helpful that they don't have to go find the money for it. A, lo a lot of these environments have been given the, the money for it. So business-wise, that helps. On the staffing end, which we all know the, the state of staffing right now, there's, there's a struggle. You know, one of the things in our profession is when you believe in it, you can feel it and people want to do it. So, and I don't know if this is very popular, but, and people can attest to this, I say it in almost every one of the trainings I do with our teachers, I stand up in front of teachers or, or groups of people working with educators or who are educators, and I say, if you don't actually care about the children, please go get a different job. Because for us, it means so much that I don't want you to influence the kids that are going to eventually be running our world in a negative way. So go away. There's lots of other jobs. We know they're out there. Go away. And no shame. No, you know, not at all. So we attract that. We attract the passion. And people in our field 
want to feel that passion. It's why they went to school to be psychologists, counselors, social workers, and they don't, they don't want just a job. And if they do, they'll go do something else. I don't know. Not, mm. not what we're trying to do. So <laughs> we haven't struggled much in that. And I should knock on wood somewhere that, that we really, you know, haven't had much of an issue having people respond to just even ads and then interview process has been pretty great. Mm. Yeah, thinking about it, it's maybe an unfortunate tailwind, but I think it is a tailwind nonetheless. That's probably ultimately a, a boon to what it is you're trying to do, which is the general state of mental health, right? In in the country and how and how I think tuned into it in a way that at least I don't ever remember people being tuned into it. Like how explicitly it's brought up in in conversations today in, in a way it wasn't. And really in the context, I think, like you mentioned, of, of COVID and and the, the generational impact that that had on on kids who were taken out of school at a you know developmental period for them, I'd be really curious to get your perspective more at a you know societal macro level on you know what what is happening in in our state of mental health and you know how how you have have seen things change and, and maybe where where it's going. Right. Well, it's um, not great. There's there's the easy answer is that COVID did something to our state of mental health as a very large group in society that I don't think anyone could have predicted it. It put us all on this, you know, rickety bridge that we didn't have much answers for. So when you have things that that rock your foundation in a way that something like a global pandemic does, getting that all put together is a very long road because those core foundations have been shook to the point where you start questioning very basic, very basic things in life. So, you know, am I going to hurt someone by going out into the environment, giving them a hug? You know, if I don't have my mask on, if I do have my mask on, am I going to hurt someone's feelings if I feel this way about the whole COVID thing or don't feel something about it? it I mean, it permeated so many parts of our lives that getting that back together is going to take us a long time. So yes, if there was a time to start a mental health business, it was absolutely now. Being able to address that in a way that is going to actually help us put some of those pieces back together is extremely important to us. And we really believe that the way to do that is just to go all the way back to the basics. And that's research and science too. It's not just a belief of ours, but when you have such rocking of foundation and tragedy and all of that, bringing yourself back to the basics of your, of your needs and your mental health is what we need to do to kind of right the ship. You're talking about basics. What are some of those basics? What are we pulling people back to? So any of my colleagues and people I went to graduate school or undergraduate school laugh at me because I could not be more of a fan of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And anyone who's taken a class, a basic psychology class, has heard of this. And it really is the the paramount thing that we, we need right now. Maslow's hierarchy of needs basically says, guess what? You're a human. You have needs. You need to fulfill them in order to <laughs> be okay. And it's all the way from the food that you're eating, the water you're drinking, the exercise you're getting, 
how safe you feel, how secure you feel. Can you pay your bills at the end of, of the month? Where are you living? Do you know where you're getting your next meal? To love and belonging, how are you feeling connected to the people that you care about? How are you getting validated? How are you feeling this sense of achievement? Those are all such staple things of being a human that that's where we need to go back to. I challenge everybody, and this is this is a big part of what the workshops we do, fill out your hierarchy of needs. Do you know how to meet your own needs? And that's what we say are the basics. And, and mental health is selfish. Mental health has to be a selfish process. And the reason being is because no one's coming to save you. I am so sorry. Wonder Woman's amazing. So is Batman and Superman and all those superheroes. But they're not coming to save you. You are in charge of your mental health, and it is up to you to figure out how to fulfill those basic needs. And one thing that I have to make clear is that when we talk about mental health, we definitely are differentiating from mental health from mental illness. And for us, mental illness is definitely a different topic. And so that's when we are experiencing this extremes of where our typical mental health is. Mental illness is more of the extremes where we are struggling with daily life functioning because of our feelings of sadness or our worries or those other things. That's a that's a much different topic. We're talking about everyday mental health that we all have every single day. Positive, negative, we all fluctuate from in those feelings. That's really what we're talking about when we say we have to get back to those basics of it. I am preparing for this was reading some of the the findings of the last few years, and they are pretty catastrophic, uh, mm-hmm. I think, in terms of particularly the, the implications for children. You know, how how optimistic, pessimistic do you feel thinking about, you know, the future? And, 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 and you know, with that, I think there are a few concepts I, I wanted to ask you about, and we can come back to these questions also. But, you know, what, what does it mean to practice positive mental health? And how do you ultimately scale you know, what it is that you're trying to do to to impact a lot more people. Right. So here's the truth. Pessimism, optimism, here's what I am. Realistic. I'm not all rainbows and unicorns. I never have been that way. I am not going to promise you that everybody's going to come out of this and be okay because we are seeing the data that people are struggling. Um, suicide ideation is up significantly. Our completion of suicide is rising and that's that's hard it's hard to face that reality what we need to do is actively practice positive mental health like you were referring to and doing that every single day is what is going to help us curb that so so while i'm not completely pessimistic. I am not completely optimistic. I'm realistic in that if we take the steps to really start focusing on our mental health, we can make change. We will be okay. Okay. Air quotes. Sorry. You know, um, we will, (laughs) we'll get there. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll right size as much as we can, but will people forever have a little bit of an effect from this? Yeah. Yeah, it was a big deal. And some people more than others. You know, unfortunately, this past November, I lost my dad to COVID, you know, and and so 
it will always forever have this impact and influence on my life. And, you know, that's, that's part of my mission is being able to teach people how to practice that positive mental health that I so luckily had the two very amazing parents that were able to teach me how to do that in hard times. I mean, we didn't grow up with a ton of stuff, but somehow, and, and my mom, who unfortunately also is no longer with me, you know, my parents had a way of teaching us how to deal with the hard and still see the sunshine outside. And that's what we need to teach people how to do. And I feel lucky that I had that opportunity and then also went to school to get the research and psychology behind it. And I have the opportunity to mesh those and and then give it away to as many kids and people that I can. And other people have had similar experiences to mine. And I'm like on this big, gigantic search to find them and and pull them all out and bring them all close to me so we can continue to do this. And and the way that you do that, so you asked me, how do you actually practice positive mental health? It's like any sport, hobby, anything like that. You literally have to practice it. And the things that you can influence are your thoughts and your behaviors. We are in control of our behaviors. We don't always want to admit it, but we are. We are the people who choose what we are going to do. That Those behaviors come from our thoughts. How do we do that? We have to take those thoughts and, and figure out how to manipulate them. How do I take my no good, very bad day, whatever that was when we were little kids, yep, yep. Yeah, right? right? <laughs> and, and how do I go, oh, wait, maybe this isn't that bad. Or even if this situation is absolutely terrible, here's the one little piece of light that I'm going to hold on to until I march through this terrible moment in my life. And that's what we want to do is teach people how to do that. How do you build the bubble wrap around your mental health so that when tragedy does come, because it will, this is life. I mean, it will happen to all of us in one way or another. How do you build that bubble wrap around your mental health so that when that tragedy does come, it doesn't rock your world as much as it could if you hadn't been practicing your positive mental health? Hmm. I think there are, there are a few directions I, w- I want to ask about from there. But, but one is, you know, relative to the status quo today, you know, maybe what, what is expected, you know, no, average in, in schools, you know, I don't know if competition is the right word, but you know, like what, what is it that you are competing against necessarily, you know, from a, a resource perspective from, you know, schools who are, are looking to, to purchase this, uh, you know, what, what are they kind of weighing when they're, they're thinking about this? Well, uh, you know, there are a lot of places that do what we do. There's a lot of places who will do pieces and parts of mental health or have really great ideas and and are executing those. And for schools and for communities, the hardest thing for them is to know what is going to integrate well with their cultural environment that they have already in their in their buildings. And that's really difficult. And the way that we do that is number one, we don't say yes to everything. We have to figure out if we are a good fit, and that's by actually listening. 
in an, an initial needs assessment. So unlike some other businesses where, you know, if you sold them something, it would be fine. Like, you know, like it would work. That piece of metal would work in that machine or something like that. I don't know. Right, right. This, <laughs> this, this has to be the right fit because we don't want to um, cause anything that set something off to not be the right fit. So how do, these are the expectations. And we meet with school personnel and we say, this is our model. This is our view. This is how we think. Does that align with your missions or the social emotional learning stuff you're already doing in schools? And so that's what sets us apart a little bit um, that, you know, one size, I tell everybody, one size does not fit all. It doesn't. And we might not be the right size for you. And that's okay. And maybe I know somebody who is, and I'll tell you who they are. <laughs> so I think that that's one of the things that is a, a huge challenge for schools right now because they do have funding available, and there's lots of options that are being thrown at them right now. So it's hard. Yeah. On the on the flip side of it, you know, for for those where you have identified that alignment, how do you think about success? You, know, you kind of mentioned earlier success a little bit and is like how well people operate in your absence after you've done the work but, but how, how do you how do you try and measure progress and accountability and, and outcomes in, in the work you're doing right business wise it's business wise and also you know and you know I feel like they're they're kind of related in a lot of ways right <laughs> yeah absolutely you know numbers wise business wise it's that whole repeat customer thing. So we have a lot of experts. And so business-wise, if we go in and we're talking about a topic or we provide someone a staffing expert and they come back to us and go, oh my gosh, I love the way they approach that or I love the support or I love this training. Do you do anything on this topic? Business-wise, that's success. We, we just won. We, you know, we were able to integrate into their culture and their, in their system and give them some value. And for that business-wise works. On the other end of it, it comes, you know, me personally, it comes from both sides of not only the clients, but also the employees. I Nonverbals are important to me. And so I can see in someone's face and in their body when they feel good about something or when a light bulb go, goes off. It my One of my most favorite things is when I'm giving a training to a whole bunch of group of people and somebody raises their hand and they either predict what I'm about to say or they go, oh, and then they give an example that that nails it, that they they got it. You know, it's it's giving that enlightenment. It's giving away that information. So that feels successful. And with kids, we see it in their behavior. So kids not don't always, depending on the age, have the cognitive capacity to say that they get it. But when you right. see the change in their behaviors or you see the change in their relationships with other kids in the classroom or something like that, that's success on that end. That's when you know you got it. Got it. Yeah, that that was that was part of the area I was curious about because I don't know. Thinking about Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you know, I'm not I'm not sure that a lot of a lot of these kids would be able to necessarily articulate whether or not those needs are being fulfilled. Um, and so how you how you think about that? Are, are there any kind of quantifiable aspects to that, or is it all kind of qualitative? 
Well, we absolutely can quantify it. So we do pieces of what we do are also behaviorism. That's all about quantifying. So we can chart it. We can chart. So um, when we're teaching kids and little kids the basics of, you know, food and water and going to the bathroom and those kinds of things, we can chart it with them. So how often do you eat? Did you do you feel hungry? You know, we can we can help them figure out how to pay attention to those basic needs of their bodies as a first step. Um, you could do that with adults too. In fact, people do it all the time. You know, when you hear about dieting and all those sorts of things, one of the things they talk about is, are you journaling it? That's data. That's how you keep the data. And then when we talk about the things that are a little bit less tangible or you know, easy to understand, like, am I eating? Am I drinking? What if it's the, do I feel connected to my social group? Well, you can count that too. When was the last time I saw my friends? The one, when was the last time I had a belly laugh or I cried, I laughed so hard I cried? If you can't remember, it's time. Like, that's your data. <laughs> you know, how, and we do it in psychology all the time when we're doing assessments. How many close friends do you have? And it's not about the amount. It's not necessarily about the amount. It's about do you have it? Is it even available to you? It's more about a yes or a no. So there are ways to quantify it. And we do that all the time with psychological assessments. Um, and then we can give back the data. So when we start, here's where the kids were at. Here is their level of understanding. That's one quantifiable way is we will give a little pretest of just knowledge. And then where are their basic levels of needs? Where do they understand it? And then at the end of the programming, we do it again. And we say, okay, how much do they know now? And how much have their behaviors changed from the beginning? So that's the quantifiable part. That's really interesting. The, this next line of questioning is, is kind of circling back to something I asked about earlier, which was how do you or do you think about how do you try and scale what you're doing? Is, is, there, is it possible to scale what you are doing? Yes, let's do it. So uh, I am a psychologist. I am, um, my goal is absolutely to scale it in the value way, you know, the, like the mission of what we're doing. But I'm also a business person. So yes. So scalability is so open right now in terms of what environments we are in. There are workplace environments that need this. There are schools, communities, um, all different kinds of boards. They're, they're just, the, the mission of this information doesn't change for age. This, this is, goes across all ages. So we can give this miss, mission to a lot of different groups. And we have a lot of different professionals that are licensed across all age ranges. So, you know, we can scale it in terms of just the environment. And then the breadth and the depth of how, how much we go into the trainings, that's scalable. And then how many we're in. So how many schools are we in? How many communities are we in? How many experts do we have? Like all of those things are scalable to you know, I don't want to say infinite, but it, it's happening everywhere. And we're in Ohio. There are other states. Maybe we go there, uh, you know. So the for me, I've never really thought small. And that's something that is 
so exciting to me bringing it back to the mission of how many people and kids could we really help? And then I get all the good goosebumps and get all dorky about it, you know, and (laughs) tear up and how exciting it would be to be able to do that and really just, you know, keep going, make it a chain. Yeah, absolutely. When when you weigh those different paths forward, the different options that you could potentially grow into, you know, how do you how do you try and 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 balance those, weigh those? What what has you maybe most excited looking forward over over the next year? Over the next year, so while I think big, I also think, and I don't know if this is a real word, but doability. I have said it for years. I don't know. We got to look it up in a dictionary. I have no idea if it's a real word, but doability, <laughs> because I, I really believe in not making promises in this area that we cannot keep. So we need to balance doability with that scaling. And what makes me most excited right now is getting that foot footprint in our schools as much as we can. And there are, are so many schools, just even our, in our Cleveland area, that we could work with. And, you know, just then the extending out of those regions where people need it. And then expanding our experts. So, and, you know, that's one thing that's going to be an interesting road to watch is that when we expand and we take our experts with us, they've got to be ride or die. I mean, those people have got to be the ride or die people that are going to go and expand because it means too much to me for them not to be. Like I said earlier, you've got to love it and you've really got to mean it or I I don't want you to hang out with us. <laughs> right, right. What, what have been the most difficult parts of this, this company building process so far? You know, the the business part, the the cash part, the the annoying things of meeting with all the people you have to meet with and no offense to any of the lawyers or banks or any of those people that I've had to meet with and who have helped <laughs> me so much to get to this point, but that's the annoying part. We have the mission, they have the money. Let's go. Like I'm I'm like all the way down the road going, come on, come on, come on, let's go. And <laughs> everyone's telling me, slow down, Colleen, wait a minute. We got to make sure that you have enough cash to do this or you have enough cash to do this. And I'm like, all right, hurry up. Come on. That's been the hardest part is going through all of that minutia, those, those tactical things that must be done or you don't have a business. And luckily- right. Luckily, in my position, you know, after having the experience I did, I have a lot of base knowledge in that to know where to go, who to talk to, what's needed, what will make an impact, what you could probably pull back on that isn't going to mean as much to people, you know, to be able to balance that cash and stuff. So I would say the actual business logistics of it. In a in a similar vein, you know, what has surprised you most about this process so far? You know, what what have you learned that you maybe didn't expect, or things things you picked up on along the way? I did not ever expect to hear multiple banks tell me that we're going to grow too quickly and that they can't keep up with us. I thought that was 
bass backwards. Is that a word? I don't know. <laughs> but like, I, I, did, <laughs> I didn't understand. And you know, that was That's one wild, thing that was yeah. quite surprising to me and that I've shared with a lot of my business colleagues and in, in different groups is, wait a minute, what do you mean? We're going to make too much money. You don't want to come along with us. That doesn't make any sense to me. I don't get it. And I come to find that that, that is, that's a thing. That was surprising. Mm. Hmm. Bass awkward. That's what that is. <laughs> Bass awkward. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Cool. Well, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll bring it back here to, to Cleveland to, to kind of wrap up. But, but before we do that, I kind of wanted to just give you the space. If there's, if there's anything that you would like to talk about that we haven't covered yet that you think is of particular importance uh, about the work you're doing or, you know, kind of learnings, uh, reflections that, that you've had on it. One of the things that I am always trying to impress on people is that you don't know anybody's journey. You really don't. And even though you don't agree with people or you might not like the way people are responding, I always take a step back for my own mental health and go, I don't know where they came from. I don't know their story. I don't know what got them to where they are today. So I try to impress, give people a minute. Give, give them a minute and not necessarily give them a pass. Because I don't know, right. I, you know, you got to take care of yourself and, and those things. But we have to recognize that people have gotten to where they are through a journey that you didn't go through. And it, it would behoove all of us to take a moment to think about that in our interactions in life. That's one thing. No, I, th- I think that's pretty special. Yeah, just practice some empathy. <laughs> yeah, might be a good idea. <laughs> Well, the closing question that we have for, for everyone who's, who's come on the show as we're painting kind of a collective collage here is not necessarily for your favorite thing in Cleveland, but for something that other folks may not know about. So a hidden gem. Yes. So I have four daughters. And while a few of them are, are too old and too tall for this hidden gem, there is a little place called Memphis Kitty Park that is near and dear to my heart. My mom used to take my mm-hmm. sister and I. My mom took my kids. Um, my grandparents used to go, you know, and it's a it's a little tiny amusement park tucked away, you know, in between, I think, Parma and Clevelandish, somewhere around there that I say, if you have little kids, you got to go. It's 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 adorable. And they'll remember it forever. Wow, that's pretty special. All right, amazing. Well, Colleen, thank you so much for for coming on and sharing your story and and the, the work you're doing. I, again, I think it's it's really important, uh, and I'm excited that you're building this here. Thanks, I appreciate it. If folks have anything that they would like to follow up with you about, what would be the best way for them to do so? You can go on our website, wraparoundexperts.com, or you can shoot us an email. Our emails are on there. Mine's pretty easy. Colleen at wraparoundexperts.com. All right. Right on. Well, thank you again. Really appreciate it. All right. Thank you. That's all for this week. Thank you for listening. 
We'd love to hear your thoughts on today's show. So if you have any feedback, please send over an email to jeffrey at layoftheland.fm or find us on Twitter at podlayoftheland or at sternhefe, J-E-F-E. If you or someone you know would make a good guest for our show, please reach out as well and let us know. And if you enjoy the podcast, please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or on your preferred podcast player. Your support goes a long way to help us spread the word and continue to bring the Cleveland founders and builders we love having on the show. We'll be back here next week at the same time to map more of the land. The Lay of the Land podcast was developed in collaboration with The Up Company, LLC. At the time of this recording, unless otherwise indicated, we do not own equity or other financial interests in the company which appear on the show. All opinions expressed by podcast participants are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of any entity which employs us. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. Thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you next week. 